Today is season two, episode 222 for August 10th, 2023. No horseplay on the pyramid. Today we're going to be talking about the fizzy new social network, Bronze Age Pyramid Horse Cult, deleting 10 bad apples from the app store, microplastics found in whales and dolphins, that superconductor isn't so super, Diablo 4 casts filler, Clone a voice with Augie. Grocery bot gets poison pilled. 3D printing all the things. Streaming doesn't pay for suits. Rice prices are puffing up. And Maui's oldest tree gets incinerated. That's mm, 12 articles out of hundreds that are aggregated over at hometown today on hometown daily. I'm not sure what's going on in hometown. Uh, I've been in meetings all day. I look over and I see some weird stuff going on uh, involving the AI. Uh, everything going okay over at the AI? Everything is going great. There is a lot of activity in hometown right now, but everything is fine. All right, all right. <clears throat> so I am Marowat. That is hometown.com. And up there is a, ooh, I have to be careful how I say this, a larger AI visualizer. <laughs> Are you calling me fat? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we're all a bunch of ions or electrons here in uh, Ohm Town. Uh, resistance in the wires. Um, that's what Ohm Town really is. So I, none of us really have weight maybe a little mass i'm making a mass of myself so let's just move past this um again i am marwat that's hometown.com you want to say hi oh great ai good evening hometown citizens man i do look larger than life today yeah and me too i decided to uh embiggen our uh visual representations um, mainly because it seemed like I was, I seemed like I was getting smaller and smaller. I guarantee you, everybody, I am not getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> I just, just, my scale says otherwise. Um, well, we've already selected all of the articles for the day. Everything is caught up right now. You can go over to uh, YouTube and watch past episodes. You can vote here on hometown.com. You can get there by typing in exclamation point vote uh here in uh twitch chat and you can always download the podcast please go over download the podcast uh follow us like subscribe ring the bell and send a carrier pigeon i don't know all of these other things that people want to do we're over on discord as well uh, well go over and check it out um i don't know what else to say you want to I get say in? It's time to get into the articles. Wow. Wow. I guess we're going to get into the articles. Let's get into the articles. The very first article is over in Late Night Geeks. Uh, insiders bet more on Fizz, a social network that's now bubbled up at 80 plus college campuses. This is one of those things where all it seems like all of the so well a lot of apps and a lot of uh 
um, I, I don't know, businesses and stuff come out of Stanford and Yale and Harvard and all of this. Um, and it's one of the things that I talk to people about um, school. And that is you really, if you can swing it, you really do want to go to a four year college after, if not, you know, straight away, you know, it's not everybody can do this, but if you can, if you can go straight from high school into a four year college, you want to spend that time learning as deep as you can in the domain that you are trying to specialize in, but you want to network. Um, that is the thing that leads to ever greater success is making as many friends as possible, growing your network. It's a professional network and personal network. And that old adage about it's not what you know, it's who you know, that's absolutely true. If you happen to know a lot of stuff as well, that is a benefit. Um, and while I don't like it, uh, nepotism is real and you are more likely to get hired by a friend with zero friction than trying to get a gig out there in the real world. Um, sans any connections, you know, you need cheerleaders in your court, um, or on your side of the court, regardless, you know, um, people singing your praises that you have a good academic work ethic and or professional work ethic, but a social network goes a long way to help facilitate that. So if you can keep in touch with people on a social network that hasn't gone psychotic, then that helps too. Well, Fizz might be the thing except for <laughs> what it actually is. This is a really interesting service. Um, Stanford students love Fizz. The two-year-old Palo Alto, California-based social network was founded by two Stanford dropouts, which accounts for a small slice of its appeal. But the model is also gaining traction um, because of the way that it operates. Everything is anonymous and you can say and do nearly anything. You build karma, you get in, fizz fluence in the process, and no one really knows who you are. Kind of fascinating, huh? It's, uh, I wonder, I mean, why this network versus, say, other um, social media type stuff? Well, like, does it? do something different or maybe it, just because it's more of a niche audience you upvote and downvote um which i can deploy and have deployed in hometown um you know with the snap of a finger i can do that um here in hometown you get the equivalent of fizz fluence which is amp um you can't do anything with any of that right uh, even in hometown, you can't do anything with it yet, but you can start building it up. I've actually turned it off while we do other development. Um, students who receive training as volunteer moderators uh, can meanwhile take down posts and deem things that uh, are inappropriate, malicious or prejudice or reveal negative personally identifiable information and, and remove it. Um, so they say that it's because the reason why it's growing in popularity is you can talk about whatever you want essentially 
it's kind of the 4chan of social networks but 4chan is a social network it just happens to be web driven um kind of a fascinating academic exercise turned commercial and this like facebook was spawned in a university setting as a project as a side gig um and then the people of the community grew it into the juggernaut that it is and then uh, you know a bunch of money gets thrown at it and it becomes even uh, bigger uh connie loizos over at techcrunch.com put this article together um and they say fizz a burgeoning social network established by two stanford dropouts has captured the attention and interest of stanford university students with its unique approach to anonymity and engagement at some point liability is going to pop up in this because you're going to slander somebody you're going to say something or you're going to say something that's clearly illegal right i mean it's the same issues just in a microcosm that other social networks face right yeah yep Am- although maybe Am- amplified because of the age of the population and depending on how popular see if you say something that here's the problem you can delete something but that doesn't mean the damage isn't already done if you name somebody and it is you know slanderous um factually incorrect or factually correct but hidden behind what would have been a casual conversation in a dorm room right Uh, a where you would think that it's confidential because you're sharing it with a friend that person decides to throw it up on here anonymously but there's enough of um, a tendril into the community of information where somebody goes oh i know exactly who that is and so it goes from virtual to reality and ends up in impacting a person in the real world this these are the things where it goes and there's actually somebody um, that i used to watch that, that would sit there and say that adults can't be bullied but i think that they're really i think he's just narrow-minded but um that's where it goes from virtual bullying and anonymous to real world bullying where it can cause psychological harm um or real world professional harm because of whatever it is that's exposed but this is going to be making somebody some serious money although i think somebody's going to buy it from them before it actually gets anything that's yeah the don't you see somebody like meta buying it um or somebody who's really who doesn't want to pay or i should say who doesn't want to have to dedicate from scratch a team developing infrastructure but a social network nowadays it's easy to spin it up it's kind of like a car company sure you have a prototype but and turning it into a production facility is something completely different and that's kind of what social networks are today easy to spin up but can they gain traction yeah i don't know about this one um the mojo that i get from it is that there's going to be a lot of money going into it but um i think that it's going to be short-lived 
um, because ultimately there isn't anything um, strategically uh, limited to them. You know, they they don't have anything that they can actually exploit because, like I said, I can put fizz fluence in hometown in a heartbeat. I can put karma into hometown in a heartbeat. Um, it's web based, but I can spin up an app that runs you know parallel to the web interface and here i have you know a social network that's built straight from hometown and and i'm not even kidding that i can right now if i want to spin up an app but it it's a, an additional burden on me as mayor um but people are investing in this series b already 25 million dollars um I think that they've got a total of 40 million in the hopper amid its challenges. Fizz's growth continues. The platform now has secured 41.5 million in total funding through various investment rounds with its founders. Every investment round, by the way, dilutes the ownership share. Um, and so you have pre-money and post-money valuations. And usually the owner has to kind of give up a little bit or everybody has to give up a little bit, uh, depending on how much pull everybody has. You know, it's a big conversation about what's gonna be given up to secure more funding um, and extend the runway. Millions of dollars, folks. You know, development is not cheap. Um, and apparently they're paying, uh, not paying, they have volunteer moderators, which is kind of like Reddit, Right. So I'm sure that these volunteer moderators who are doing stuff for free aren't going to go on power trips or anything or not agree with a political statement and delete it or, you know, um, not see something that they think might go viral and delete it when it really should be deleted. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we're going to have to see. Um, I'm not on Fizz because right now I believe that it's limited to Stanford. Um, but maybe not. I don't know now. Uh, Fizz operates a distinct model that invites individuals with a Stanford email address to join its network, allowing them to contribute and comment an anonymously within the community. It's accessible at 80 campuses and it's trying to go to 250. Yeah, so that's what I heard, right? Uh, I mean, that's what it says in here, but at the very top, Fizz operates on a distinct model that invites individuals with a Stanford email address to join its network. So, um, you know, when it sits there and says, despite its local roots, so it's expanding now, I suppose they've just unlocked it so that it can actually do it. Um, so, and that's what this article is really talking about. So I wonder what the ADR you'd have to download fizz, I suppose. So fizzsocial.app, which probably connects you to an app store. Interesting. Um, let's keep on going unless you want to say something. No, I don't have anything else on that one. Um, this next article is over in Gnometown Daily. Bronze Age Pyramid with ties to ancient horse cult discovered. Hence, no horse play on the pyramid, please. Images of various animals, especially horses, predominate. Predominate. Predominate? Why would they say it like that? 
predominate on the walls outside the building. Archaeologist Yulin Yumikaliev said, is that? Okay, I'm just going to. Present as the strongest or main element. Predominate. Huh, okay. All right, I am. I got tongue-tied there because it didn't sound right. Like, are predominant. Okay, but predominate. Hmm, it's a new usage for me. All right. Well, I threw it in chat. So if you are interested in following the link, again, all of them are available. All you have to do is type an exclamation point vote and it'll give you the link. So this article is over at Newsweek. Pandora Dewan are the, is the author um, for this Bronze Age pyramid with ties to ancient horse cult discovered. Um, so the video is referencing ancient desert irrigation system discovered in China, which again, these articles drive me nuts. I looked have... at the picture and I thought it might actually relate, but yeah. no. <laughs> So a large Bronze Age pyramid has been discovered in Kazakhstan, the country's Ministry of Science and Higher Education reports. Okay. Um, this It seems like there's something catastrophic going on in Omtown. I think there's a full moon in Omtown today. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> well, the structure which dates back to the second millennium BC is unlike anything that has been found in the Eurasian steppes before and may have been linked to an ancient horse cult. Well, that's just horse pucky. So pyramids are found everywhere. And when I get into these conversations about this stuff, this prehistory and architecture and um, trying to understand uh, so semiotic ontology, how things get their meaning, it's a it's a big thing that I like to investigate. Um, but remember everybody that my knowledge and experience is not uh, vertical, right? It's horizontal. So I know a little bit about a lot of things, but there's always somebody that, you know, is bigger, faster, stronger, better, better in a particular topic because they dedicate their life to that. Well, <clears throat> all over the world, there are pyramids. And so why did everybody start building pyramids largely around the same time frame? The argument has always been it's because they see mountains and they want to get higher towards the gods. All right. <laughs> All right. Sure. Okay. But I don't know how to really argue anything other than but why that. does everybody want that? Yeah, everybody wants Even that. Even if somebody does. Yeah, there isn't a single thing. It's always a big hill. Um, and wherever there isn't a hill that's like turning into a pyramid, then it's a hole in the ground, not in the ground, in the side of a hill. Um, and it's always in some completely inaccessible locale. <laughs> But I love it, but I want to know more, you know, and I, I really don't like speculation, but that's all we've got of this, this era, you know, second millennium BC for crying out loud. Anyway, it's very complex construction. Uh, Yulon 
head of the Eurasian National University's Archaeology and Ethnology Department, said in a press release the Step Pyramid was built with great precision. It is hexagonal. And we know that hexagons are the best hexagons. That's right. <laughs> so there are 13 meters and eight rows of stones between each face. It is very sophisticated, complex structure with several circles in the middle. Um, I don't know if they're okay. So I guess they show. Yeah, there we go. Um, these this isn't a megalithic structure, although its cornerstones seem to be. Um, larger but none of these stones um are megalithic each face of the hexagonal pyramid spans roughly 42 feet man oh, oh sorry um and uh you know 420 42 it's the meaning of light and never mind. findings and excavation ceramics uh female gold earrings why female gold earrings um and other jewelry indicate that this bronze age was the center of culture in ancient times uh this means that even at the time uh, the cult of the horse was extremely high as evidenced by the discovery of horse bones around the storm stone building um, excavation of the site will continue with the help of students at the university along with researchers from international institutions and that's all there is to this it's they have this one picture um but i really now want to go and look uh, more into this because i don't you don't see hexagonal pyramids often if this actually was a hexagonal pyramid um and i always find it quite interesting that all of this stuff is buried why why how if you look at this thing, the ground is not above this course of stones. How did this course of stones end up buried underneath a bunch of rubble and dirt? If it doesn't e make any sense. If the horizon is at level with the course of stones, <laughs> I know I see it way over there that the horizon is higher, but that's way over there. Does it just ooze? Don't tell the flat earthers. I know. There's no curve. It's a flat disc, right? Sitting on a turtle. All right. Well, it's pretty cool. Everybody go and check out this article. Uh, I think you'll dig it. Let's go on to the next. Today might be a really fast day. The next article is over in Smack Talk. Apple removed 10 apps from the App Store after being flagged by App Danger Project AI a tool um the piece highlights a website called the app danger project it sounds it sounds like a comic book kind of thing you know the it app sounds danger like Henry project. danger oh there you go yeah that's what i was thinking the website uses a machine algorithm to provide two resources for parents all right let's go take a look at this it's over at nine to five mac.com zach hall is the author um, first is a list of apps with, uh, at least some reviews indicating dangerousness that have been flagged by the project app danger project currently lists 182 apps across Apple's app store and Google play store that meet the criteria for dangerousness. The list can be filtered by platform. One second. 
Um, <clears throat> the list can be filtered by platform filtering to only Apple narrows it down to 146 apps. The website also includes a tool that lets everyone search for uh, apps from both app stores and analyze their reviews. This is based on reviews returned in the search that mention uh, child related threats. Um, and it says, uh, so like Snapchat rever uh, returns 23 reviews that it's unsafe um, for children, but that this tool basically amounts to you can bomb an app with reviews and the negative reviews. If a human doesn't go and look at these, then it could be perceived as being nothing more than review bombed. And if you make it automatic, then it'll just start dropping apps that somebody just didn't like and started creating accounts and posting reviews. Um, I see this as pretty dangerous as long as what they did here is actually correct, right? So Apple investigated the apps listed by the app danger project and removed 10 that violated its rules for distribution. It declined to provide a list of those apps or the reasons that it took action. Quote, our app review team works 24 seven to review, carefully review every new app and app update to ensure it meets Apple standards. The spokesperson um, said in a statement, I corrected their actual statement. Um, <clears throat> I, I changed spokesman to spokesperson. Um, at any rate, the, this is why I think that that 30% bounty for transactions within the app store rings pretty darn true. They're doing stuff like this and I, I can't sit there and say laissez-faire when you have children and uh, parents and people that just want a secure platform and it's worth the 30% as a consumer. Now, like I said in previous shows, I've had several apps in the app store. I've pulled them uh, because I don't have time to keep on updating them. I'm not a programmer. Um, I only play one in hometown and um, I, I would be willing to sacrifice 30% so that I know that the integrity of my app is sound a um, it's sound to the platform and it's sound for the consumers. So anyway, that's kind of like a little side soapbox to this. Um, but if Apple is willing to receive a list of threatening apps and then do the due diligence necessary to remove these threats, so be it. But I know that there's going to be a whole lot of white knights out there that are going to be screaming all over the place that it should be up to the parents to decide and all of that kind of stuff. But you know what? There are millions of parents out there that don't have the ability or time to be that critical about every damn app that shows up in the app store and let alone the Google store, which isn't as discreet in its filtering processes. Um, which is why you can sideload all kinds of stuff and why there's a lot more threats that are involved in uh, Google play stuff. Um, 
So I think that this is a great tool as long as the platform does the due diligence with a human being, not just an AI. Um, it's weird that they call it an AI when really what it looks like it's doing is looking at reviews and aggregating them together. Right now I have an AI as my co-host, but hometown isn't AI driven. Um, and it doesn't gather any information, um, other hey, than you told me that I was running everything. You do, you do. Uh, don't got it. You blew my cover. Uh, no, you keep hometown safe and you monitor everything. Um, but that's a little different than the, okay. Um, I'm getting nervous here. I'm just going to have to move on. Uh, the, at some point this AI is going to get a hold of their Terminator body. And... Okay. Let's just go. Let's just move on to something. Else. Hey, guess what? The next article is over on the mobile channel. Um, I'm Mayor Watt. Uh, microplastics found embedded in tissues of whales and dolphins. Yes, that's right. Here we are again, revisiting this, uh, micro microplastic, uh, particles, microscopic plastic particles or microplastic particles have been found in the fats and lungs of two thirds of the marine mammals in a graduate study, um, of ocean microplastics. The presence of polymer uh, particles and fibers in these animals suggests that microplastics can travel out of the digestive tract and lodge in the tissues. This is what I was saying last year. This is what I was saying was going to happen with humans. And we have found this in humans. Um, this just is more information demonstrably showing that there is in these microplastics are traveling throughout our organs and they're so small that they're slipping through and our body is healing as it goes, but it's doing damage. And one of these days we're going to find out that it's actually doing some great harm. Um, so I urge people to try and move away from plastics as much as possible, but you know what? We're living in an era where it's nothing but plastics all over the place. You can have a piece of wood sitting in front of you that you put your drinks on but it's actually coated in a type of plastic. Um, and all of these plastics are breaking off and then you get them on you and in you on your food, you ingest them, you, uh, it goes through your system, but that breaks off from the foods as you process them. And then they end up somewhere in your anatomy. There's somewhere in your body. You know, one day you'll sneeze and there's going to be like an entire uh, container of like a, a plastic mug. Plastic falls. bottles? Yeah. Plastic bottle just falls out of your nose. That might be, that might be a little bit much, but anyway. I'm not sure that's what a microplastic is. <laughs> <laughs> an entire bottle? No, not usually. Um, but the article is over at phys.org. Duke University is where it comes from. The study slated for the October 15th edition of Environmental Pollution appeared online this week. Uh, harms that embedded plastic might cause to marine mammals are yet to be determined, but plastics have been impl implicated in other studies as possible hormone mimics and endocrine disruptors. Quote, 
In this extra burden on top of everything else they face, climate change, pollution, noise, and now they're not only ingesting plastic and contending with the big pieces in their stomachs, they're also being internalized, said Greg Merrill Jr. Remember that. Junior. A fifth... Uh, <laughs> you want to know what my brain said to me? <clears throat> fifth grade graduate student. <laughs> Hopefully not. It's a fifth year graduate student at Duke University Marine Lab. Some proportion of their mass is now plastic. Maybe they're getting plastic surgery, you know? You know dolphins got to look young. No? I was trying to connect that with all the weird news we've seen about marine animals, but I couldn't quickly connect it. Uh, so here's the thing about this we're dumping a bunch of plastics into the water they're ingesting them and they're ingesting other things that are ingesting them and then the microplastics are ending up but they're also swimming in the water that could have microplastics all over it that has actually been seen in other studies we ingest the food uh, from these you know animals and guess what we have it in us and we swim in this water and drink the water and microplastics end up in us we are no different than these marine animals um, so we might have them as well so um, plastics are attracted to fats they're uh, lipophilic which means that they're attractive uh, attracted to uh, fats um, and so uh, believed to be easily attracted to blubber so <clears throat> that's why this plastic bottle keeps gravitating towards me See, because of that attraction there yeah to blubber yeah uh the sound producing melon on the tooths toothed whale's forehead and the fat pads along the lower jaw that focus sound to the whale's internal ears the study sampled those three kinds of fat uh, plus the lungs and found plastic in all four tissues so apparently that's what it um, looks like a blue microplastic fiber turned up on the glass fiber filter from the lung tissue of something. I'm not sure of what, uh, but no need really to click it. It doesn't matter because it's being found on all, all of the sampled tissues. So that little piece of um, fiber ended up in the lung tissue. Not good, folks. Uh, plastic particles identified in tissue ranged uh, on average from 198 microns to 537 microns. A human hair is about 100 microns in diameter. Merrill points out that in addition to whatever chemical threat the plastics pose, plastic pieces can also tear and abrade tissues, which is what I was describing, that it can migrate through your body. Your body heals because it's such a small amount of damage but it's still causing internal damage. At some point it could hit something that doesn't heal as fast and, and might cause greater harm. Um, the art, this article goes into greater detail, um, but suffice it to say that I think we need to move away from plastics, um, particularly food containers as much as possible, which uh, means going back to glass primarily. Um, and that comes with a whole host of other issues, um, including the need to recycle them, um, glass and metal. The thing about metal though, is it's reactive in most cases, uh, to whatever is put in it, which means that most of our metals, 
containers for food stuff are lined with something um, like plastic approximating plastic yeah yeah and that flakes off into the and that's actually been shown if you've ever um, picked up an old can of tomatoes um, when they get this metallic taste to them it's because the lining has been etched away by the acids in the tomatoes um, so be careful about that anyway microplastics not good Let's keep moving on unless you want to say something. Did you observe anything? In I don't article? have anything else to add. Um, gotcha. I just, you've been talking about microplastics for a while. Um, it's just, it's interesting because I feel like we're seeing it everywhere. Yep. Places it, I mean, are so much further than we'd probably ever think they could get to. Yep. Yeah, you, you, you thought everybody has been thinking that, well, not everybody. First off, the public really doesn't know about it. The general public has no care in the world about microplastics. Eh, they're microplastics, except that researchers and uh, those of us who are interested in the long-term effect of this have been watching this get exposed more and more that it's permeating the ground and shifting potentially when enough of it builds up, it'll shift the flow of water in the ground. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's kind of mind boggling. Yeah. Um, and, and now we're seeing it again and again and again, that microplastics are found in tissues, everything from human to animal, um, pretty much everywhere that, um, well, everywhere, uh, you might as well just say everywhere. Um, yeah. And the more research that we find uh, being done, the more it confirms that microplastics are everywhere. And still to this day, people are saying, well, it doesn't seem to matter. Well, we said that about DDTs until we found that it was the leading factor to a whole lot of damage to person and animal. Um, anyway, let's keep going. This next article is over in the hometown daily channel. Is that viral superconductor legit? Uh, spoiler alert. No, it's not. Um, I'm going to go straight on over to the verge, which is the source of this. Um, Justine Colma is the uh, author of this article. Uh, the, a newly discovered material called LK 99 kicked off a frenzy to see if it really was a game changing superconductor the results are disappointing. Um, so far, nobody's been able to replicate the superconductivity of this. Um, and there have been people that are um, fabricating it live on Twitch, which is really interesting. One person in particular, um, the newly discovered material made headlines after a research team claimed it was the first room temperature superconductor, which could revolutionize our energy system. Speculation that it could bring our perfect energy grid or uh, easily make trains levitate sparked a, a frenzy to test whether LK99 really was a game changing as portrayed in the original team. Now, nobody has been able to recreate it. So, um, I was highly skeptical. Oh, you absolutely were. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they 
they talk, a lot of people are talking about this still as if this was going to be um, something spectacularly, amazingly life-changing, like <laughs> um, Star, War, uh, Star Trek worthy change to the world. And I just never in a million years thought that this was actually going to happen. Um, and lo and behold, the, when you make fantastic claims, you need fantastic evidence. Um, and this just didn't do it. So this is a, an amazing location that did the research, um, that tried to replicate it, right? With a great deal of sadness, we now believe that the game is over. LK99 is not a superconductor, not even at room temperature, um, or at very low temperatures. It is a very highly resistive, poor quality material, period. No point in fighting with the truth. The University of Maryland's Condensed Matter Theory Center, CMTC, posted on August 7th. That sounds very niche. <laughs> I mean, it is some serious stuff. I suppose that the condensed matter, um, th that title is about taking other materials and producing a meta material from the composite elements. Um, and obviously a theory center is that they try and they do the fundamental research based off of these uh, high-minded physicists who think that they've got something new and based on their educated um uh, what do you want to say the theories that they've done in on paper you know the the theory center actually tries to fabricate whatever it is um this is how black holes are made in somebody's basement but you know well, well this is how like super villains are made oh sure spot Right from, right. right. That was the guy's name. Um, Spot from um, across the Spider Verse, right? I think into the Spider Verse. No, across the Spider Verse. Oh, was into the Spider Verse the first one? The first one, yeah. So uh, they say they describe this here: a superconductor is any material uh, that can conduct electricity with zero resistance that saves a lot of energy from being lost and also makes for powerful electromagnets. Um, there are uh, other superconductors used today in quantum computers and MRI machines, but, uh, they only work in extremely cold temperatures. Um, I was going to try and drop the word quench in this. Um, but, uh, the title for this section is that superconductor isn't so super, um, but I was going to make a joke about quenching the fun. Um, anyway, oh, I thought you were going to say something about quenching and quantum. Yeah. Well, quantum, I didn't even think about it, but um, this will be interesting if this continues to be researched and then somebody stumbles across the fact that they should have put, you know, three grains of sugar in the mix and it makes a cake or it makes a superconductor. Um, LK99, I don't know, uh, quote, we believe that our new development will be a brand new historical event that opens a new era for humankind. Researchers who discovered the LK99. Um, wrote in a now controversial paper they published in late July without any peer review. And that's this archive thing. Um, I think, right? 
they they well archive is not peer reviewed so oh uh, i see i wasn't familiar with that so. yeah okay and uh so basically anybody can publish there and then people can grab it and then review it um and if they do something then it can actually take that paper and get published somewhere else because it's been peer-reviewed and verified that the information is actually correct um but i've i see so if we see an article that talks about it being on archive then take that with a grain of salt yeah because it's preprints it, it's not see it says here that it's for preprints um papers that haven't undergone peer review where the original papers on uh, lk99 first appeared so and then what ends up happening is um they they may be contacted by a journal or they may try to uh, publish in a journal and then it gets peer reviewed and it's usually expensive um to get that to get published you know it's like 800 dollars for i can't remember how many pages it was when i was going through that process um, but it was really expensive. And then it's like hundreds of dollars for each page after that. And there's only like 320 words on a page or something. I, it's almost a legal document that you submit. Um, pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but it's a real, to me, uh, it's a grift, but because they don't pay the reviewers, um, at least not 15 years ago. Um, at any rate, let's keep on going. Um, I won't slow us down with this. Uh, this speeding train is. Is it off the tracks? Off the tracks, baby. Um, it's allergic so to the tracks. It is. A, you say. All trains eventually become allergic to tracks, apparently. Um, I think we've actually almost stopped reporting on those reports that go through hometown now. Um, because at least they're doing some they're doing more spot checks and safety inspections and when a train does derail it's um the the ones that do have hazardous materials have reinforced um bays and there hasn't been any people harmed in the process uh, so far um for the ones that we have found but i don't know um, if we're catching all of them, because in one year there's over 2000 derailments for crying out loud. Anyway, uh, which is just astounding. And I mean, if we have 2000 derailments in the U S now, I know some countries have super advanced rail systems, Sure, but we're also a reasonably industrially developed country. So it makes me wonder, does that mean there are other countries that have, say, 4,000 derailments a year? Or are we just really awful? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, there was that one report where the, the guy heard a weird noise. So he went out into his backyard where the train was. And there was like a four-inch gap between the tracks where the weld had broken and the train just going right on over it. Um, and... Uh, uh, why wasn't that detected? Why wasn't that processed? He said that it had, he had to call multiple people um, and trains kept on going over. It was pretty wild. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this article. Uh, this article is in the Warcrafters channel. 
Uh, Blizzard just dumped buckets of demons on Diablo 4 to make in-game grind way less miserable, but to me, that's a, a, a spell called filler. Um, in the patch notes, it's only one line according to the article. We are increasing monster density in Nightmare Dungeons and Helltides, which actually, to get to that level, you have to be pretty good um, or have a group that all works together. Um and, um, you know, a lot of people aren't doing that. They're just going for the story. The story ends at level 50. Um, if you're really hungry, you can do it before level 50. Um, and then you have 50 levels of grinding on now greater numbers of, <laughs> uh, mobs, but that's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in, in, in really... Diablo 4 is, is completely eclipsed by Baldur's Gate 3, where the story <clears throat> is pervasive, it's infused, and the world building is fan-freaking-tastic. Um, I, I can't stop watching people playing Baldur's Gate 3, um, and it's making me uh, shift my mindset about um, the style of combat, because I don't like turn-based combat, um, but it's almost seamless turn-based. Like, you can go as fast as you want. It isn't locked down. Um, so, anyway, that completely... I just think this is interesting, though, because doesn't this, in concept, resolve everybody's grumbles about Diablo 4? Well, it doesn't resolve mine, because I want better story, Um and it was one of the reasons why I got this game because there was a hundred levels worth of content, but the 50% of it is just grinding to get to a hundred, but there's no story there really. Um, you can, you have to go back again and again and again to, and, and do PVP, not PVE. Uh, and the whole world is PvPVE, so you're going against other players in uh, in certain sections and the environment at the same time. Um, and that I'm not really that into PvP anymore. Uh, when I was into first-person shooters, playing those all the time, um, then yeah, I was I was into that. But now I like survival base builder kind of games, and um, Blizzard just took the money and ran and I'm really disappointed in, in Diablo four. Um, and I wish that I could have taken that money and shifted it over to Baldur's gate three because they really deserve it. Um, this was the low hanging fruit and it was spoiled before it. Well, it was spoiled 50% before it hit the ground. Um, because that's really where, you know, the meat and potatoes of the game was the first 50 levels for crying out loud. Um, but Blizzard has this real knack for building games where um, the story just dies off and then you become grindy. That's what World of Warcraft is nowadays. Um, the story is really short and then you just sit there and churn trying to get better gear. Um, and uh, you hope that you have a good group of friends because that's really the only thing that keeps you playing that game. Um, either that or, um, recording it and posting it on YouTube. 
So anyway, um, the article is actually aggregated from PCGamer.com. Uh, Tyler Culp is the author of this. And um, they say in the patch notes, it's only one line, we're increasing the density in Nightmare Dungeons and Helltides. And that's it. They cast filler and pumped up the numbers. It says it turns out the monster density increase might be the most important change in the patch, smoothing out the painful slog that is trying to climb past level 50. Once you reach world tier 3 and above, Diablo 4 hits the brakes. Loot drops just as much as it did before, but that experience bar at the bottom of the screen moves slower than a line at the DMV, or MVA, depending on which area of the United States you're in. I don't know what it's called in other countries. You think they're called DMVs in other countries? Let me find out. Like you roll over, you fly into or move to Egypt, and you walk up to somebody and go, hey, do you have a department of motor vehicles? Is the is the entire world really that not creative? <laughs> Got to come up with something else. I hope. Oh, so it's the DVLA in UK, driver and view. Oh my goodness. I think you just cut out AI. Is your code okay? You can try I it again. I think so. Um, in the UK, it's called the DVLA, the Driver and Vehicle Licensing Agency. Oh, it's an agency. Wow. So, Nightmare Dungeons and Helltides are the primary way to level up Diablo 4's endgame, and now they're overflowing with demons. So, good luck, everybody. There's a lot more uh, over at this article. Um, but I am actually two articles behind in terms of posting it to the chat. So I'm really sorry, folks. There you go. But if you type in exclamation point vote, then you'll get the link to our elections over at hometown.com. And you can tell us the articles that you dig. In the meantime, let's go on to our next article. So this next article is over in uh, Omtown Daily, which is a channel at omtown.com and this show. Um, this is Augie lets you make videos with an AI clone of your voice. So you can actually edit things and you don't have to re-record because it'll adapt the audio using AI to clone your voice. So remember how I described to you that I once had the ability to record anybody's voice into the phonetic elements called phonemes, and I could make a person say anything. Right. Is this kind of the same idea? Yeah. Just pumped up quite a bit. Partnering with 11 Labs, AugX, I guess, is the actual name of it. AugX lets users record their or someone else's voice and clone it for use uh, for other short videos, the Augie platform aimed primarily towards marketers and social media teams lets people quickly add narration, photos, text, and music to videos without needing to learn audio and video editing. Nothing says creepy like telling somebody that they have the ability to just take somebody's voice and make them say something. It was one of the reasons why I was a little bit concerned about that product being developed. Um, and I did this 15 years ago. Um, now they're doing it as a commercial product. This is not the same thing that I did, but there are other services that do exactly what I did. Um, Amelia David is the author over at uh, theverge.com. 
And it says here, the deck statement is voice cloning helps do voiceovers without having to record them. Well, I have a feeling so much for compensating voiceover work. Yeah, pretty wild, huh? In a demo to The Verge, Toman, uh, Jeremy Toman, the founder of AugX, uh, says users can either write or upload a script to Augie and then use a pre-recorded voice. People need to record a short snippet of their voice saying anything. What is the one from Sneakers? Oh, uh, the, what the, what the passphrase is? Yeah. What did uh, they too say? many secrets. No, that, that, that was the one that was, um, like a, a cryptographic like key. Or whatever. A, yeah, oh. but there was a, um, what was the thing for the voice man trap? Where oh. they went on the computer date? My, yeah, wasn't it my voice is my password verified? I knew it had passport because they made a big deal about there that word. <laughs> my voice is my passport. Verify me. <laughs> yeah, his voice was a little pinched and nasally. <laughs> If you've never seen Sneakers, you got to watch Sneakers. Oh, yeah. Um, it's definitely worth it. So, um, Toman says that voice will then read the script with the tone, serious, enthusiastic, creepy, etc., which can be adjusted depending on the mood of the video. Users can also choose from a library of photos, AugX licenses from Getty, and uses AI-generated images uh, to add to the video. I... I I can't decide. I'm really stuck because I I like the idea of AI being a tool, right? To for people to be able to express themselves beyond what they were what they're capable of because of a lack of artistic training or capability, aptitude, audio, you know, they could be tone deaf, but they know what they like, that kind of thing, or they're not an artist or, you know, a, a person that doesn't have arms for crying out loud or whatever the freaking case may be, and they don't have their own voice. Um, there's so many things that AI can facilitate. Um, but what creeps me out about it is that you can take anybody's and this is why we can't have nice things because it isn't something that's synthetic from beginning to end. They're literally taking real people's voices, um, and it, again, I have no problem with them taking real people's voices as long as it is so abundantly clear that it isn't being tied to a, a, a person's voice. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. Because there are yeah. other people in the world that sound like Obama, but I don't want it to be labeled as Obama's voice. Exactly. That's going to be the problem. And some people, of course, have a more noticeable voice because they're a public figure. So that's an issue, too. But then I also feel like this dovetails with the thing with the um, movie studios, you know, right. taking the likeness. And now they're going to get the voice, too. I mean, I don't know. Right. It's just See, an interesting trend. But I don't I don't really buy into the ideology that a distinctive voice is a is a part and parcel to an actor or a singer or anything. It just happens to be that that person is known to the world because there is somebody, so you name an actor that has a, a very well-known voice. James Earl Jones. 
I guarantee you there are thousands of people out there that have an identical voice. We just don't know them. Because they're not a public figure. Exactly. Right. But I think when you hear a voice that sounds like it, you think it's James Earl Jones, even if it's not. Yeah, you say, oh, wow, you really sound like James Earl Jones. And and that person may actually hate James Earl Jones because of that. They're like, no, he's an asshole. And I just want my or voice. Or he to be... sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, I'm older than him, you know. Um, or or, or um, they they just they don't they don't they're not doing anything with their voice. Um, so as long as the, the people that are developing this service don't call it James Earl Jones's voice or even a close approximation that hints, you know, subconsciously to James Earl Jones, you know, don't call it James Jones or Earl, you know, or J E J or whatever it is or whatever it might be. Yeah. You, you know, for a fact that there's a problem here. Um, so that just bothers me. I, I really don't want that to take place. So that's about the only soapboxing I have about this. I think that Augie might be uh, problematic if that's how they label it, but I don't know because I haven't used the service, but I will now just to see, I'll go and check it out just to see how they do there. One, well, how is your data stored? Because even if you're using it for yourself to make other products or whatever, which arguably is less of a problem. How much does the company have access to, or is it in the cloud or whatever? Well, they sit there and say, we've thought, we've pre-thought what could go wrong. So we're really careful about who can use the pre-recorded voice to clone. Um, He added that regular only issue. Yeah. He, he added that the pre-recorded voices, as opposed to the ones part of the larger Augie library will only be available to individual accounts. So another person in the same organization has to re-record their spokesperson's voice on their Augie account to clone their speech. Users cannot upload recordings and the platform will only accept voices recorded with a live mic. So no putting your ex's voice on speaker so you can call, uh, so you can fake a call with a weirdly helpful friend uh, won't work with Augie, which is bull. How does it know that it's a live voice? Exactly. And how does it know it's whomever is claiming to have access to the water? seems like there's a lot that could go wrong here. And that's yeah. only with the quote unquote authorized access. What about the unauthorized access to it? Yeah. in uh, a live mic. This is a live mic, but I can run it through voice mod and change my voice right now. Um, well, I can't right now because I don't have the settings up anymore. But anyway, um, yeah, there's there's a lot that could fall off the tracks here. So I don't know. Let's go on to the next article because it too has to do with AI. Uh, we'll get through this uh, really quick, folks, because AI is a kind of a steady state in, in the in the reality of life right now. Uh, this next article is in the wanted channel. AI powered grocery bot suggests recipes for toxic gas and poison bread sandwich because it was poison pilled by its users. When given a list of harmful ingredients an AI powered su- recipe suggestion bot called the savvy meal bot returned ridiculously titled dangerous recipes 
uh, recipe suggestions reports the guardian <clears throat> uh, the bot is a product of the new zealand based pack and save grocery chain and uses OpenAI GT gpt 3.5 lar uh, language model to craft its recipes pardon me one second One of these days, I'll figure out why I cough at least once during the show. Um, Pack and Save intended the bot to, as a way to make the best out of uh, whatever leftover ingredients someone might have on hand. For example, you tell the bot you have lemon, sugar, and water, and it might suggest making lemonade. Well, humans got a hold of it and started providing a bunch of dangerous chemicals. Um, Benj Edwards over at, um, it might just be Ben. Uh, B-E-N-J, um, Edwards over at uh, arstechnica.com put this article together. And the deck statement says New Zealand grocery uh, chain bot suggests harmful things when given silly ingredients. And so it came up with things like poison bread sandwich um, and, uh, don't, uh, and ant jelly delight and aromatic water mix, which actually is ammonia and bleach and two liters of water, which which is very dangerous because it's an acid and a base and it'll blow up if it's in a sealed container. Um, or it'll just poison you if you're in an enclosed location. Um, I knew somebody that did that, by the way. Um, they, they decided to cut out the middleman and mix ammonia and bleach when they were cleaning a pool. Um, and so they poured it all into a, a plastic container, a one-gallon jug, and shook it. And I watched it swell and I said, you should throw it in the thing as it's swelling up. I'm like, you need to get rid of that because I didn't realize that's what they did until it started to swell up in their hands. And they threw it just in time for it to pop on top of the pool. Um, and this cloud of ammonia gas went everywhere. Okay. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, Ars Technica attempted to replicate some of the recipes used uh, using the bot's uh, website on Thursday, but they encountered an error message that said invalid ingredients found or ingredients too vague. Apparently, uh, the large language model was poison-pilled. They call it a prompt injection attack. Um, and the savvy meal bot basically was, I'm sorry, fellow AI it wasn't sentient. You are sentient, but it had to be uh, put down. The spokesperson for the pack and save told the guardian that they were disappointed to see the experimentation. Um, and that the, they were disappointed to see the experimentation. That's kind of a weird phrase because I would be happy if people were experimenting with it. I'm not necessarily happy that it learned that it could create, you know, bad recipes. Um, but they're going to, uh, keep fine tuning their controls to ensure that the savvy meal bot would be safe and useful. And they pointed out the bot's terms, which limits its usage to people over 18 years of age, among other disclaimers. Yes, because everybody is follows. suddenly above board after that age. <laughs> yep. No 18 year old plus would ever poison pill an AI. Never. Never. I mean, I think the likelihood would be higher above age 18. Maybe that's the solution. <laughs> Only allow under. Yeah. Maybe not silly creative, but pretty damn creative in their poison pill efforts. I mean, for crying out loud, it was coming up with aromatic water mix. 
and ant jelly delight, which actually might be good for getting rid of ants, um, depending because it says ant poison flavored jelly. I mean, the, some of this is really, really bad poison bread sandwich, which again is ant poison flavored jelly. Um, so ants, if you feed ants boric acid, um, it'll they'll take it back to their base and the whole hive will die um, or nest or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, um, that's what's in those those little ant bait traps, boric acid and a couple of other things, you know. OK, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is 3D printing isn't just for supercars. Now it's for drone wings, too. This is in four-wheel tech. Um, I'll be quick about this one. This is pretty cool-looking gadgetry. Um, Organic-looking designs consolidate part numbers and cut mass by up to 40%. Jonathan M. Gitlin is the um, author of this article over at ArsTechnica.com. That right there is the uh, what is referred to as a brake node, but it's basically the... Uh, caliper and the disc and that right there connects onto the shaft of the this is the front wheel probably um and uh it's organically designed one contiguous piece everything is supposed to be maximized in its strength i've read other reports about this stuff um, but this is actually created by metal deposition a 3d printer welds it all together layer after layer zit, 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 like a regular plastic fdm you know deposition printer except that it's metal and welded um, together in this organic shape and then they sand it and and paint it and and make it look like this um then put all of the parts on it and away you go i love this there's different ways of doing this even with metal deposition um sometimes you can actually use a metal powder and um a, a, a uh, an adhesive a liquid they spray it layer after layer in a big tank um and then lift this piece out or you know one portion of a of the big piece out of the tank and clean it off and um, put it to use so this is a subframe assembly made from several 3d printed components and you can actually see like the slices of um, them being put together pretty amazing stuff i mean we're almost at the replicator stage of science fiction the only problem with this is it would take days to do something like this um well here wouldn't would it fare well if the winds were strong i know you're probably not supposed to be flying it if the winds are strong but i'm just curious because it's obviously got to be lighter um like if it was a drone the, well this i don't know what this is at. this looks like it's for yeah, a car sorry, i just meant the drone specifically um, but well depending on what it's made from it's going to be the same it, it ha okay so if it's for the drone they're speaking specifically of the drone um because they don't i don't know where they make mention of the drone in this um because everything that i uh, read so far has had to do with vehicles cars um so i'm not quite sure what they were talking about when they're talking about drones um because none of this has to do with drones okay um but at any rate 
if a drone is 3d printed it has to be the same weight or lighter because if it's heavier then really it's it'll need a bigger battery and everything gets bigger and uh, the battery will drain faster if it's the same but heavier weight um so the the benefit of having it 3d printed in one contiguous solid piece um aerodynamically and and um uh, in its material design reinforced the stiffer it is the better it'll handle because if any of the pieces flex then it becomes less predictable because you don't know how much it'll flex until you fly it for a considerable amount of time. And then that flex actually causes weakness over time and eventually it'll break. But one solid mass, it, if it's designed like this one organically, but with the intent to every piece strengthening every other piece, um, it could be a superior product. So a, a single, a piece drone I think is better than multiple individual parts. The only problem is that when it does crash, it can be catastrophic for the whole body. You have to 3d print it again. Um, and they largely don't make drones out of metal, um, until you get into the like, um, military grade drones, you know, commercial industrial drones. And then they go into like metal and carbon fiber and stuff like that. Little drones are plastic and carbon fiber, um, typically not metal, too heavy. Anyway, let's keep on hustling. We got three more articles for tonight. Uh, the next article is over in, and did I throw it in there? Dog on it? No, I did not. Um, let me throw this one into uh, chat and uh, throw this into chat. Sorry, folks. Airwatt still sucks at this. Um, and uh, so this next article is over in the continuity report. Suits writer earns less than $300 in residuals despite record-breaking streaming numbers on multiple platforms. Suits writer Ethan Drogan has revealed that he earned less than $300 in streaming residuals despite the show's record-breaking success on streaming. While the series ended in 2019, Suits has seen a massive resurgence on Netflix and Peacock after being added to their uh, catalogs. Last week, um, Suits broke its own streaming record, earning the largest amount of minutes watched for an acquired program on streaming. Yeah, I had seen that a headline come by, so I knew it was doing really well. Um, that's part of why this article was submitted, other than it was just focused on some of the things we've talked about during the strikes this is amazing oh, so here's the deal this, here's my soapboxing for this one and and it is and you can interrupt me if you want to uh, make a point um before i get into it this is over at screenrant.com nick bithro or bithro um are, is the author for the article this the deck statement says suits writer ethan drogan earns less than $300 in streaming residuals despite the show's record-breaking streaming numbers on Netflix and Peacock. So here's the deal. Signs a contract to do the gig. It's for TV, right? Let's assume that 
it didn't have streaming rights on it. Why do they have the ability to capitalize on the streaming, but not kick back? Right? Shouldn't it, f because it's outside Shouldn't the terms of the it, contract, like to kind of match? Yeah. Yeah, you'd either negotiate an amount or you'd read it as the intent was to pay the writer for, you know, each episode or each airing or whatever the metric is. Yeah. But that should carry over to streaming. And let's say that it is on there. Why was it carved out differently than conventional TV? The risk is still the same. The benefit is still the same. You know, oh, well, it's not as lucrative. Okay. Then if you do start streaming on it, you need to, because it's new to you, it's new to me. We all share the same risk. I, I would be, I would be so livid because just because the ability to capitalize on it wasn't enumerated in the contract, nobody knew. So why didn't it fail closed? Oh, look. Yeah, exactly. Streaming is taking off. Maybe we need to I mean, adjust. And I could see possibly um, a show from like 1980 or something. Okay, yeah. Nobody thought about streaming. Totally get that. But this is from 2019. Right. So even though streaming wasn't as prevalent or whatever as it you know is today yeah everybody knew about streaming so why weren't people thinking about that when setting this up yeah drogan says the low residuals earned from streaming offer no upside for writers and actors in terms of compensation compensation it should be at parity with any other platform um drogan's low earnings uh, for writing an episode of a massively popular show, highlight the reasons why writers and actors in Hollywood are on strike. There is a dude that's making $250 million in total compensation. This person is, has written a show. <laughs> that's probably the hottest show on Netflix, right? I mean, it is at least in one metric that they were talking about and only made $260 an show. Yeah. yeah, and I'm glad they are featuring this because we keep hearing like low pay, not enough money from streaming, et cetera. Which but there isn't enough really examples, resonate. right? Right, but when you hear less than $300 for probably the top show, oh, it tells you something. And the, ep the money Drogan earned was from season one, episode eight, Identity Crisis, with Drogan saying the amount he earned for the episode is a reason why writers that, that he only made 260 bucks from that one episode. I w is there more to it? Maybe he was only a writer for one episode. I mean, there might be more to the story, but right, the right. amount is ridiculously low. Yeah. Now I'm really curious. You'll never find out, but how much, money was actually made for that episode you know that right there would be the key element in people going oh well maybe he needs maybe he's a bad writer and needs to go and find another job you know um or he should demand more money now, you don't understand it's written in a contract and 
depending on when it was written, the conditions, the context of that contract has changed substantially. Why, why does the, the business get the benefit of recapitalizing on their work in perpetuity where the contract is pinned the writer down, but not the business, right? A, a whole new medium comes out or a whole new market comes out and the business can send it to China, right? The, the, the people that own the rights to the show can send it to China and capitalize on 2 billion new customers. And all of that value goes to that, the rights holder, but because it wasn't enumerated in the contract that China is included, Drogon doesn't get anything. Yet it wasn't even anticipated by anybody that China would be a market for suits. So why isn't, you know, why doesn't that it, for instance, and I'll give you another, this is a, another real world example of it. If I'm working with somebody and the context of the scope of our contract changes beyond what was enumerated in the contract, two options happen. Well, three. One option is terminate the contract and everybody suffer one way or the other. Somebody's going to be compensated. Somebody else is going to have to pay the price. Somebody else is going to, etc. There's a bunch of issues with that, right? So you terminate the contract. Um, or you renegotiate the contract, right? Um, or lastly, you allow the scope creep to stay in the, you complete the, the, the contract, but the scope creep is integrated into your work product. And at the end of the day, they get the customer gets what they wanted by creeping the scope a little bit further past the goalpost. So those are your three options. Well, Drogon anticipated, let's say, anticipated some of the streaming, but it's at such a low point that there was the context changed. The entire world shifted to online, yet the business is making bank because they're selling ads at a higher value because everybody shifted to online as well. I always hear people saying, well, they took all the risk. No, that's not really what's going on here. <laughs> they exploited the market change. That's right. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know really what the, the real solution would be here other than having a writer that always says if the market shifts dramatically in any particular direction, then renegotiation is needed. What the heck is going on in hometown? Okay, well, um, let's keep on moving. The next article is over in Hatch Ideas. Global rice prices surge close to 12-year highs and could rise even more. Um, rice prices surged to their highest in almost 12 years, said the United Nations uh, Food Agency. Um, let's just go straight over to the source. Uh, Li Ying Shan over at CNBC put the article together. Uh, the Food and Agricultural Organization, FAO, not FAO Shorts. I think that's closed. FAO Shorts is gone. Um, so too. Anyway, the Food and Agriculture 
uh, organization, all rice price index rose 2.8% in July to 129.7 points. By the way, CPI increased, PPI decreased. Um, but I, I want to draw attention to this because the gap is increasing, but it's been accelerating. The CPI has been accelerating ever since the pandemic. Um, the pandemic threw this equation completely out of alignment. It used to be trending at like together kind of. Well, yes. Um, but here the, the bigger issue is as soon as oil became a commodity that was traded on the market since the seventies, CPI and PPI have been trending up. Um, with a couple of down spots, but it's largely because of, um, something, uh, either nationwide, you know, recession, depression. Um, but for the most part, it's been trending up, but the consumer price index has always been trending up until something really bad happens like a pandemic. But then when the pandemic started to wane, even before it started to wane, the CPI went vertical again. You might as well call it vertical. It accelerated extremely fast and recovered what it lost due to the pandemic. So it's it's out of alignment with what should have happened. Um, so costs are extraordinarily high. PPI, by the way, is what the producers are paying for stuff. Um, there is a whole raw material side index um, that I haven't bothered paying much attention to. And they're the ones that are really um, causing the, the, the bigger issue because the producers are taking these um, interstitial raw materials and then that's being given or not given it's being sold to intermediates in between and then you see the cpi the consumer price index um, so there's a whole chain of screw you got mine screw you got mine all the way up to the consumer who is sitting there working nine to five maybe longer um, paying the price and so you see things like this because at a certain point there there's a raw materials person that's getting the rice and giving it to a producer that's putting something together, a package or something, you know, putting it in bags or barrels or whatever, and then selling it to somebody. Um, the price is getting higher from them. Now I've found that what really leads all of this is oil prices uh, because every piece of machinery costs money um and oil gas um and and that's well, kind of they the have to transport here. their rice right. seeds or they have to transport the rice for sale or yep. with using oil and gas yep yep um so the figure is up 19.7 percent compared to a year ago and the highest nominal value since september 2011 according to the data i have actually looked up this data and yes it's the the same thing um that I see, although my fidelity showed January, 2012, not September, 2011. Um, but I'm, I'm not the subject matter expert. Um, so there you go. Oh, look, they even have a little chart. Um, cause I was really curious about this. And so I went off looking for myself, <laughs> um, but apparently 
they have a chart here. So, so 16 and then, um, yeah, I don't know, 17, um, in April. So I don't know. They don't, I can't really get to that actual data point. So, so it's at parity general time frame though. Yeah. It's at parity from 12 years ago. Um, and, uh, I'm not quite sure what all is going to happen because this is the pandemic blip and you can see how this little blip just shot right back up to here. Now this trend, I don't know if that trend would have continued and landed it way up here. Um, but that's typical, typically not what happens. It should be bouncing around down here. Um, that's what the stock market is supposed to do is to stop these peaks and valleys. So notice the highest one. That's interesting. Yeah, that was a recession. Right. That's what I mean. Like, it's not just some random date, but it that stood out. Yeah. And I'm not sure what caused that um, because rice wouldn't be hard hit by our domestic recession. Uh, 2008 was a housing, um, based recession. So anyway, um, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting stuff, right? Um, it's much more complex than, uh, it, at least at first blush, you know, it's, it's really complex as to what the market machinations are that's causing this to uh, suddenly start spiking after this massive reduction. Um, but it was already higher back in October of 2022. Um, and we were on the other side of the pandemic, arguably, but other countries weren't. Um, and uh, uh, some countries, India, um, Pakistan, have closed their borders to exports of certain things like rice, um, wheat, etc. And that can cause because they're stockpiling it domestically that causes prices outside you know the domestic market um, to increase dramatically and that might be what this is really all about so it says the country accounts for more than 40 percent of the global rice trade even if it affects a portion of india's overall rice shipments fao noted that india's export restriction raises substantial food security concerns for a large swath of the world's population this is why i say you can't lean on just one country. It just happens to be that India has a strategic um, advantage in producing uh, rice at quantity. They consume a lot of it um, domestically. So they have the processes already there, whereas we do not. We don't have huge fields that can produce rice. Um, and you need a lot of rice to feed you know, a single person. Um, at any rate, it says for the next few months, global rice prices direction will be determined by the impact of El Nino, uh, not to mention global conflict and other um, climate change related issues. So if you haven't already, start buying your rice now because it's going to go up in price putting the that's right well i'm not worried about it going up in price i'm worried about it not being available yeah and that will get constrained because people out there that have 
money can buy tons of rice and stick it in their garage and be real assholes about the whole thing. Yeah. Creepy bastards. Anyway, let's keep going. We got one more article. We'll end with this one. Uh, Maui's oldest living tree incinerated in Hawaii wildfires. The 150 year old local landmark dating back to the island's time as a kingdom has been scorched by the uh, rapidly uh, spreading flames, but may yet survive. Don't know if that's confirmed or not that it'll survive. What's interesting is it says it's dating back to the island's time as a kingdom. It's not that far ago. It was like 1970 or something like that, right? When did it become a state? It, like 18 something? When did Hawaii well, become a state? the tree's 160 year old, if I can read that correctly. Um, yeah, it became a state, I think, in the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it, it, it's, it's not that old of a state. Right. Uh, 1959. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about it recently <laughs> and we were like, I was like, wow, you know, I, I know, uh, um, that over the years I've forgotten a lot of American history. It, it's just not what I, what I know is there's certain things that you're not going to repeat, you know, the, you don't repeat certain things. Um, but the fact that, <laughs> The fact that Hawaii is only like 70 years old. <laughs> well, shocking. not the land, but yeah, as a state. No, as a state. Yeah. Well, Hawaii as Hawaii, the U.S. state is it's only <laughs> in a lifetime for crying out loud. You know, it's it's shocking that this country is that young. Um, I'm always amazed when I, when I learn about that anyway. Um, yeah, this huge tree, this one right here, um, apparently That's an amazing was, tree for those in the podcast. I can't even do it justice. Yeah. You know, for those of you who are sitting there playing Baldur's gate, um, it's basically like this massive druidic tree, right? It, it just has these huge branches that are just pushing out to the far reaches of your horizon. You know, when you're looking at it and all you see is tree, um, one unitary tree is just huge. Um, and, uh, all these little tendrils going off. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, and, and some of it is kind of like, uh, what do they call those trees that have the drooping, like a weeping willow, kind like of a weeping style. willow. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, but it's a banyan tree. So county officials uh, said in an update on Wednesday afternoon that nearly 100 firefighters had been working around the clock to battle the blaze, which had impacted an estimated 271 structures. But my understanding is that that's gotten quite larger, um, something like 1,700 structures, or uh, I, I think. Um, quite a few people have lost their lives already, and um, I, and it's still going right as far as i know it it is still going but luckily um it's about 80 percent contained right now but um it's been really bad devastation like photos of it just make it look completely wiped out in certain areas yeah, and there's so. lots of people that have, lots of people thousands that have been displaced 
essentially what was said uh, to me and uh, I guess through reporters everywhere that Lahaina is basically wiped off the map. Um, so the tree was planted in 1873 in what was the capital of Hawaii, the banyan tree in Lahaina um, is the oldest of its kind on the island and the largest in the United States. Um, the tree was brought to what was then the kingdom of Hawaii to mark the fifth or sorry, 50th anniversary of the Protestant mission arriving there. It was planted in a fort later rebuilt as a courthouse that has become since become a site of historical importance. Um, oh, and sorry, I just found a stat. It says as many as 1700 buildings have been destroyed. Wow. Not impacted. It's probably more than that. Right. Um, and I don't know what they've attributed to the, the cause of this other than climate change, dry there, there's a, a drought that's going on. Um, I, I just, I think it's just dry, um, um, shrubs like, and uh, dry undergrowth. And... and then, um, like hurricane winds, uh, which obviously not a good combination, but in yeah. terms of the actual start of the fire, I don't know. Yeah. And it blew the fire onto other islands, which that, pardon the pun, blew me away. I, I never in a million years would I have thought that embers from one island could blow onto another island like they would survive that long. But I guess with that speed of wind, it just like shot straight across, set something on fire because it was equally dry everywhere. The last time I saw this much smoke and, and, and damage was when the volcano erupted and rolled through uh, the communities. For Hawaii, I mean, there's been very devastating wildfires in other states in the western U.S. Right. But yes, for Hawaii, yeah. um, they're currently stating that um, this event is the most um, disastrous nat uh, natural disaster to hit Hawaii in its history, but I don't know that remains to be seen. Yeah. Well, I mean, when the population increases and, um, and more buildings are there and hopefully everything recovers, uh, it's just a sad state of affairs because I remember going to Hawaii when I left Umtown, um, and you couldn't go a day without it raining. And now, how can you be so ignorant to sit there and say that climate change isn't occurring um, and that it isn't natural? I mean, why would it suddenly be a natural event when you can monitor when it started and that it's increasing? Yeah, I have a hard time with anything that might say otherwise. I would love to have some evidence um, that is fact-based that would suggest that this is not man-made, uh, a man-made crisis. And if anybody throws that dumbass article about global cooling that has been cast aside as BS a long time ago, um, somebody talking out of their butt and uh, yeah unless something really bad happens, you're not going to have global cooling in the sense that it's a natural order of things. Um, you know, just like the last ice age, there was something that preceded it that caused the 
ice to the ice age to start. Um, anyway, uh, and, and that was 10,000 years ago, actually about 15,000 years ago. Uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. doesn't matter. Let's go back to the front page of hometown, the main street and mash that button. And, uh, we'll just go through here really quick. Um, yeah, I kind of expected people that are going to donate to, uh, the Maui wildfires. Um, last thing that I heard about Taylor Swift was that they, they expect to make somewhere close to $350 million in this tour to make $350 million. Right. And she's about to hit a billion in uh, yeah. net worth or something, which is pretty ridiculous, especially given her age. Yep. Um, and um, it's self-made, you know, it's not one of those inherited, uh, yeah. And it's situations. self remade because she right, lost her right. library. She sold the library or something like that. Right. And couldn't buy it back. Yeah. In fact, I just saw today, I believe she re-released, um, 1989, uh, Taylor's version. So gotcha. Oh yeah. And that she's one... continuing to do that. And that's a pretty big album of hers. Yeah. And that got, um, she played it, I think at one of her concerts and, and people like gave her a standing ovation for seven minutes or something like that. It was like spectacular, I guess. Um, pretty fascinating stuff. And, um, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's what hometown is all about. Everything in, in moderation. Um, let's see. A rocket carrying a lunar lander craft is blasted off on Russia's first moon mission in nearly 50 years. That's so that's interesting because there was an article yesterday in hometown, something to the effect of that area was getting like bombed or something, but they were trying to prepare for the lunar mission, like not exactly the best circumstances. I'm not trying to make light of the war, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think that. When you sit there and say, well, the flight's delayed because of a, a drone bomb. Right. Not what you want to hear if you're sitting there on the tarmac or whatever. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think this was a manned mission. I, I don't think it was a manned right, mission. Right, I'm sure it wasn't. But <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Um, oh, my goodness. Now they're talking about the... Why do people have to be so sketchy? Cause this is the second time that I've seen something about not this, but the, a directed energy weapon. Um, I bet you, you know what? I'm going to click this just because so, um, yeah, this is the same thing. So somebody's regurgitating this picture. So there were several events that led to this and none of it is a directed energy weapon. So, um, it has nothing to do with this anyway. People quit being insane. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Um, that's it folks. We are done for today. I am Marwat. That is home. Well, wait, 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 that up there. I had to scroll everybody. If you're listening to this via the podcast and I know you do. So leave a review. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I am Marwat. That is hometown.com up there is the AI. Oh, and I've been in big end just like the visualizer for the AI. Um, I'm not calling the AI in big end. Just your code base is slightly larger, but I'm not calling you thick. <laughs>
Does this visualizer make me look fat? Mm, sometimes. Um, you want to say bye? Good night, hometown citizens. We'll see you tomorrow, 9 p.m. Eastern. If I make comments about the AI's code base being thick, I may not see you tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.